Hi there, and welcome to the Daddy Juggle podcast. Erdem Kosh is my name, and I have an awesome guest again today. But before that, I want to tell you about two things that happened this week. The first was our daughter, Adele, turned one. And because of the COVID-related restrictions, again, here in Melbourne, we had a relatively small celebration, but it brought with it a range of emotions, a feeling of being robbed thanks to COVID. Robbed of all the memories we could have created in the first six months of her life, but couldn't because we were in lockdown and we had to stay home. And robbed again on her first birthday, just as we thought things were getting back to normal and celebrating the milestone the way we wanted to. Now, of course, she won't remember any of this, and hopefully we're doing enough of a job as parents to give her a solid upbringing, but the emotions are there and they're valid. Of course, we're grateful we have our health, we have our family's health, but emotions are valid every day of the week. The other thing that happened this week is Adele started sleeping. You may have heard me speak about Adele's sleep issues in previous episodes of The Daddy Juggle. In short, she'd either sleep by being rocked in her arms or on the boob. It could take anywhere between 45 minutes to two hours to put her to sleep. She would wake up anywhere between three to ten times a night and would only catnap during the day. The result was a tired, frustrated, angry, tense household. After a major breakdown by all three of us in this house two weeks ago, we finally mustered the confidence to call up a sleep consultant. Now, we were always against sleep school, right? And I'm not judging anyone who who chooses to do it, because, well, the results speak for themselves. But to me, the thought of letting your baby cry to regulate their own emotions and fall asleep never quite made sense. But the sleep consultant said we had to do the training. And because of COVID, she couldn't come to our house. It had to just be us. We had to do it ourselves. Now, I don't know how, but we did. We put Adele in her crib on the first night and she cried hysterically for five minutes straight. I'm talking about crying like she's never cried before in her life. It was the longest five minutes of our life. We went in, consoled her, put her back down. Eight minutes, again, hysterical crying. Now, during this period, my wife and I are both in tears in the other room. At one point, we're having a fight and of whether we should you know, call the nurse and call the whole thing off and go rescue our child. After the eight minutes, we went in, consoled her, put her back down. Then something happened. After two minutes of a different type of crying, almost like a protest cry, she started to look around. She sat up in her crib for about five minutes, eventually got in her sleeping position and fell asleep until the morning. And this happened eight days in a row, today being the ninth day. Our baby, who in her one year of existence had only slept once through the night, slept until the morning for eight days straight. Now, I don't want to jinx it, but The energy in our house has changed dramatically. Adele is happier. She has more energy, and so do we. And here's the thing. It turns out we were the problem, not her. We kept saying, our child doesn't sleep. She doesn't want to sleep. She hates sleep. She refuses sleep. Turns out, this whole time, she was happy to fall asleep alone. We were the ones in her way. But hey, we were doing the best we could, right? And it needed the hitting of rock bottom to admit that we needed help. So I guess it's better late than never. But it's the best that we could do at the time. It was wrong, but it was the best. I explain this because it's the theme 
of this episode. Doing your best. What does that look like? What does best even mean? What does it mean to be the best parent either you can be or the best parent that's out there? And I discussed this with Michael Kunzler, a financial consultant based in Utah in the United States. Michael has five daughters. And I start by asking him to take me back to the very beginning. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, back in 98, I became a father for the first time. Katie um, is knocking on the door at 23 years old. And uh, I'm just proud of where she is and where how far she's come along. And they range in age every two and a half years on the nose, 30 months apart. And then number four, we thought we were all good and all done. And four, almost four years went by. And I had a client come into my office and say, we need to take $50,000 out of our investments to basically create a baby. Um, both of them were past the childbearing years. And long story short, I went home that night and said, you've always guessed there or, or felt like we had one more out there. Or let's go for it because I don't want to pay 50 grand. So um, little self is not 30 months apart like all the other ones. Sophie, uh, she'll be 11 and the next oldest is 15. So we got this four and a half year gap. So 23 down to almost 11 um, is, is the age range. And having all daughters, it's, uh, it's a full volleyball team and uh, a full girls basketball team, if you will. <laughs> so <laughs> never, uh, never a dull moment at our house, that's for sure. So, so far you've beaten the record because Matthew Wells, who we spoke to in the first episode, has four. You now have five. Explain what an ordinary day is in your household, if there even is such a concept. I mean, ordinary. What is ordinary? <laughs> I would say an ordinary day becomes extraordinary when you're talking about, you know, hairstyles, etc. And kudos to my wife. Before we go too much further, let me just clarify. Anything that's good about the family comes from my wife. I'm a great backup uh, pitcher, but hopefully don't have to get put in the game as a full-time mom. She, she is it. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch her just coordinate um, like, like a beautiful conductor that she is. Every little section, each of those five daughters having unique personalities and needs. And, and interesting, even the, you know, the 17-year-old, um, she'll be 18 next month, um, still wants her hair to be done by mom. She doesn't have to, and she can do it by herself. But, but if mom's available, uh, mom's doing hair for the almost 18-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 11-year-old, meanwhile, picking up after, you know, everybody. And, and uh, so it's kind of a whirlwind and uh, organized chaos, if, if there is such a thing. Uh, so ordinary day, it's more of an extraordinary day, meaning extra ordinary. Um, and, and so you just learn after the one child, there is no such thing as normal and that everything is just okay. And you just got to roll with the punches and try to maintain your sanity and even a little sense of humor if possible. Um, so in between the tears and the drama of having the daughters, um, there's some fun too. And, and we try to, uh, to not take ourselves too seriously. That's super interesting. You mentioned the concept of normal when you've got one kid, because drawing on my own reflections with, with an almost one-year-old now, there is so much material out there on how to raise the perfect child. You need to do X, Y, Z to achieve A, B, C. Take me back, if you can, to 98. Was this something with your first daughter and then obviously your subsequent daughters? Was there that pressure then in your mind on we need to get this right. We need to get this kid right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you very quickly realize that what does right even mean? And what, who am I to, to actually measure that? And who am I to actually perform on that? 
And and so yeah, I think I feel like for new fathers, yourself included, um, you know, as you go forward, there's just this expectation, and there's these parenting books. Look how great we did it, and and look at how good our kids are. We're the model parents, and, and there's no such thing as great, and there's no such thing as even good. So lots of times it settles down for us as it's got to be good enough. We got to have confidence in in our ability. We did the best we could. It's not the best. What does that even mean? But it's the best we could, meaning given our circumstances, given our limitations and also our strengths, this is the best we had to offer. And so I think, you know, changing that approach to, you know, let's get this right. You know, if there is such a thing as a right and a wrong, there's this other place that we go to that's, you know, it's, it's got to be good enough. And, and maybe that's a lesson for life and not just childbearing is, you know, when is good enough enough to, to where you're not beating yourself up for, you know, shortcomings, or whatever that might look like, that you're just willing to accept that, like, I'm given the best I can. And sometimes you just got to ask for grace. You know, I found myself asking my kids um, for forgiveness. You know, hey, I, I overcooked that one or, you know, I got a little hot on that that situation, but I'm trying to get this right. And I don't even know what that looks like, but man, just, just forgive me for, you know, my imperfections. Hopefully, hopefully with enough therapy and time, they can, you know, turn into good adults. <laughs> That's the hope anyway. What's their reaction when you ask them for forgiveness for your imperfections? I find that fascinating. <laughs> Most of the times I try to, you know, I try to lighten the mood, but, but sometimes it's quite somber. Like, yes. man, I work. I really overcooked that when I overshot it, didn't I? And they're like, yeah, dad. And, you know, we have enough of a relationship that most of them are pretty cool about it. Um, but, but also, I hope that opens up the door, you know, being vulnerable, even with your kids. And, you know, we just had a loss in the family in, in January. I tell you what, like, you know, there were days where we, like, it wasn't okay. And I wasn't okay. And and just to be vulnerable, they they saw me cry. I've I've cried before in front of my kids. I don't try to shy away from emotions. And we encourage them to embrace their own. But and they saw me cry more, um, you know, because of that loss. And you know, Dad, are you really okay? And I'm like, you know, today it's not okay. But I want you to know that that's going to be at some point, and you're going to be okay. And and we can get through hard things. We can do hard things. <laughs> Let's open up this concept of vulnerability because I think in the modern world, so much of the pressure on men is to be the complete opposite, is to, you know, language around be a man, man up, men don't cry. From that to even, you know, you're breadwinner of the house, you're the, you're the, you know, or you're the secondary caregiver, your job is to look after your, your wife, partner and children. In all of that, it feels most of the time that there is no room for men to have mental health challenges, even if it might be for a short period like yourself after a loss. How have you dealt with thinking about how you want to be vulnerable in front of your children and why this is so important to you as a father and to them as their kids, as your kids, sorry? I mean, again, with, with, with that kind of pressure, um, there, there's just there's the, the, the pressure creates unnecessary stress if you buy into it if you if you believe that narrative that you know there's a right and a wrong if you believe that narrative that you got to man up that, that that you got to keep a stiff upper lift that, that that you have to be 
the rock of your family. And there's only one way to do that. And that's old school. It's, it's the way my parents were, you know, were with me. It's where probably their parents were with them. But at some point, the cycle has to be broken and say, you know, that's the only, not the only definition of being a man or, or woman for that matter. We, we can redefine what these roles really look like. Sometimes I'm the primary caregiver. Fortunately, not for extended period of time, but, uh, you know, sometimes I'm the primary and, and you know, she's created an income source um, to where she's not as reliant on my income as, as perhaps she used to be. So, and, and this is, these family dynamics are changing now to where I, I, I think you can redefine as a couple, if that's the case, or, or as a, a single dad or a single mom, you can redefine what that really means to be the, the model parent includes room for imperfection, includes room for improvement and, and that vulnerability. I think, you know, some people would say, you know, being vulnerable um, shows that you're weak. And I would say being vulnerable shows how strong you are, that, that you're comfortable in your own space. And, you know, shed a tear once in a while or being able to laugh equally as, as you know, easily. I think that's where, wow, you know, I have great respect for those people who can really dig deep, especially in the context of parenting. And another level from that is business, you know, to see a business context go from a handshake to a hug. Um, that's where I always, always want to be in, in a business context, man. We've got to sign contracts. I know that's, that's important, but I'd much rather do it with a handshake or better yet, a hug. And, you know, I've shed tears many a times with clients and, um, you know, just, just, it's a different space. And I feel like it just, it, it, it makes me um, more fulfilled than if I had to, you know, be that, you know, strong, you know, silent type like my dad. You know, I knew, I knew when my dad was mad because he would let me know, but I didn't know if he was proud of me. I didn't know if he was upset or if he was sad or depressed. He never shared those emotions with me. And, and it's, it's rough as a kid guessing what your parent you know, how they're, how they're journeying through this life. But, you know, what if there were more of a transparency or, or an open book, how different that could be, you know, maybe as a kid, there was something I could have offered. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do is just be real with my kids. And they know I'm afraid of heights. That's no secret. And they've seen, you know, they, they see me in, you know, in, in a situation where I'm, I'm repelling down the, you know, the side of a mountain together with them, or I'm, I'm, I'm skirting the side of a cliff together with them, you know, on a hike or something like that. And they can see my hand shaking and they can see a visible, you know, stress involved. They get a kick out of it. They think it's hilarious. But what they also see is, you know, in spite of, in spite of dads being terrified, he's out here because he wants to be with us. He's out here because he's modeling. Like, it isn't that life's going to work out perfectly. It's what you do with it when it doesn't work out perfectly. Right? Dr. Susan Food. Davids, who does amazing work in this space, speaks about the importance of going to the emotion with your children before you go through the emotion. And it is so critical that she speaks about the importance of sitting there with your child in the dark for a little bit, letting the emotion out before then we say, right. Because if you ignore emotions, they build and they build and they build and they become problems Later in life, later in life might be half an hour, it might be 30 years. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Because they will come back. Exactly. You know, and, you know they, that, that, same, that same opinion, if ignored, will, will just, it'll, it'll just tap you on the shoulder at some point. You address it or, or it's coming back. 
and also with friends. To, yeah, to teach children that you know recognizing emotion when when it's your own emotion is super important. My wife and I had this discussion the other day because a uh, a friend of ours who's a psychotherapist said, you know, she's struggling with some language with her eight year old at the moment because she's of the belief and does work in this space about not saying, I'm so proud of you. And so you should be too. It should be the other way around. You should be so proud of yourself. And because you're proud, I'm proud. So your emotion and your sense of self-worth is not reliant on what your parent believes of you. It is what you believe of you. And it sounds like that's something that is big in your life with your five daughters, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a proud dad of five daughters, but I can't want this more than you do. And, and so each, the older ones that have, the, that are married, one's married now to the house, the other one's married and off to, or excuse me, not married, but, but out of the house and going to college, um, you know, at, at some level, being able to let them, you know, be themselves, their, their true selves and whatever that looks like for you. If you're proud of you, I'm proud of you. Um, but you, you know, it's gotta be you first. It's gotta be you feeling into what do I want to do when I grow up? What does that look like for me? What are the steps that I need to take? Hey, I'm a, I'm a support system. I'm a safety net, but you're out there walking the tag rope. I can't do that for you. I can't want this more than you do. I'll support you. And however you want me to feel about it. Um, you know, I, I answered a question to my daughter the other day and, and then she's like, well, dad. And I said, let me back this up. How did you want me to answer that question? Because um, obviously it wasn't the answer you were looking for. Tell me how I need to respond here. Yes, no, maybe, or what's the, what's the answer there? It reminds me of that. I saw this photo on on a social media platform of you know dads working from home during the during the COVID pandemic, and you know they've got sort of a a, a, a piece of paper on on the door of of what is effectively their study or home office. And it says, here are the potential answers to your question. One, no. Two, ask mum. Three, look again in the fridge. <laughs> sort of yes. Standard responses. Yep. Yep. Just, just pick one. And, <laughs> and if that wasn't right, come back again and refer to something else. Um, and, and a lot of, of parenting is like that. You know, it, it would be nice if there were a list on a door that even as I, I as a parent could go to and say, I've got this question. Well, let's just pick one of these answers and have it work out sometimes. But it's, it's messy and, you know, it's, it's imperfect. And, and sometimes you get it, you know, totally wrong in their eyes. Uh, you know, the kids, from, from their viewpoint, dad totally blew that. Being able to just be aware of how they're feeling and how they're reacting. And sometimes there's nothing you could do. There has to be some order and some discipline in the home. Sometimes you can, you can say, hey, was there a role of mine in this disappointment and frustration? And, and could I maybe get another shot at this? Hey, you know, can, can we rewind the tape on that? And let's try this interaction again. I don't know that we really got it right. Are you okay with that? Tell me what goes through your mind when daughter number one moves out of home. Uh, a deep sense of feeling like we did everything we could. And again, coming back to the, the, that previous comment of, you know, doing the best we could versus the best. We did the best we could for her. Maybe it wasn't the, the, the true definition of best, whatever that means. But, but with our limitations and our imperfections, but also our, our deep desire to do right by our kids, you know, when she left the house, it was, it was a feeling of 
we did the best we could and, and we hope it's enough. And, and we hope that she, she at some point circles back to those lessons in, in the home and, and knows above all else that we love her. And, and we just hope that for her sake, that it was enough and that she's, you know, she's going to now own her, her adult self. And, and that is fascinating because Michael Ray put this in, in, in the second episode of this podcast series when he said, my daughter is going to spend the majority of her life away from me. And after the recording, I, when I went next to my wife and she said, you know, well, what was the standout from the podcast? I said, you know, Michael said this and it, it really got to me because it, it dawned on that moment when, you know, when you have a, a an almost one-year-old who is cl- clingy and, you know, relies on you to just get through the day, uh, you can't think of that. But, you know, obviously as they grow up, that's exactly what it is. We have such a vital role to play in their lives as parents, but then they go off and that's it. That that The majority of their life is done alone in their head with their partner, with their colleagues, you know, whatever it is. And we become sort of a, a distant memory in many ways, just like we've been to our parents, right? But there's a ripple effect of those those first, you know, 15, 17, 18, 20 years. And, you know, let's make sure that, that we're not the ones that are that are adding to any of those inherent challenges that might, they might have as an adult, you know? And, and so and I've heard it said that those, those eight, those first 18 or whatever years compared to what might be another 50 years on their own, the time spent in those first 18 is more than the rest of them combined, the, the number of hours spent, et cetera. And, and that's a sobering thought, but it's also, you know, the opportunity to say, you know, let's do the best we can with what we have. Let's, let's take those steps that we can. And, and that's, you know, that, that revolves around the work-life balance thing and, and you know, doing the best you can to, to be the best employee or the best owner of a business that you can, while also recognizing that those are 18 very precious years that you can't get back. And the, and the time spent, you know, not only do you have less direct time with those kids, but the influence decreases dramatically as they get older to where all we can hope for with that 23 and that 20 year old and even the almost 18 year old is is that they know that we love them but but in terms of influence i mean unless they choose to to you know ask for advice and even accept the advice that's given that's it like the best we can do is is like know hopefully that they know that we love them and, and that we would support them don't let that weigh on you too much. You still have a long time. <laughs> Definitely feels like an eternity, and also, you know, Adele's not going to move out till she's about fifty-five, so we don't have uh, we don't have any issues there. <laughs> Work-life balance. Tell me about that, because obviously, at the heart of this podcast is well, the word juggle, right? Because as fathers um, or as working parents, we we juggle a hell of a lot uh, from work and finances and all sorts of things in addition to, of course, being a dad, which is you know, arguably one of the most important things we'll ever do. How have you navigated balancing uh, your professional career uh, as well as you know, being a dad and then, and then being a husband? I think the key is you know, if, if you are with a partner, 
um, that, that there's a lot of communication, especially with the, you know, the younger you are, it's, it's probably correlated to younger children, you know, potentially. And the younger you are, it's correlated to a higher expectation of, you know, getting, getting the family finances, you know, husband and wife both potentially or, or partners, you know, working together or a single mom or a single dad, whatever your, your family situation looks like. Um, you know, being able to do the best you can to ramp up a career, to provide sufficient resources, you want to give your children the best, but then also realizing that, you know, without that communication and that expectation, you're working extra hours at, at the office means someone's filling in for you or, or things are getting dropped. So this idea of, you know, balance it's tricky the younger you are and the younger your your career is and you know that expectation of providing as they get older and you know, they got kids you know the, the education to fund they have you know weddings to fund and etc do you want to be part of that and, and so you've got to have that you've got that pressure to succeed at work but also you know the older they get the less they care about you know all of those things that we think are so essential for them, the nicer home and, and the nicer trips. But man, some of our best family vacations have been the cheapest ones. We've had some really cool ones um, to create some, some, some hopefully lasting memories. But some of, the, some of the cheapest ones were the best ones where it was just no frills and, you know, road trip and, and you know, having that time spent and, and you know, walking together and, and doing hikes and things like that. And, and so, uh, this idea of balance, it's, it's very tricky. Um, and, and so again, my hope would be that each, each dad listening or whoever else is listening to that, that they would just, you know, be okay with where you are and understand that, you know, yeah, could you be better at, you know, being home more or being more present with your children? There's always room for improvement, but there's also this acceptance of, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And, and if you can look at yourself and say, you know, uh, there's always room for improvement, you know, and get, get 1% better each day, but at the same time, just being okay with, man, I got, I got to put in the hours right now. I'm in a new job or I'm in a new career. I'm trying to run this business and, you know, I'm going to be fully present when I can. Um, and, and just good communication. If you have a partner, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in that situation, uh, but it, it takes a lot of teamwork, you know, whether you're doing it with your yourself and your extended family or, or a partner, um, you know, just, just being able to say, I'm doing the best I can. And coming back to that, you know, as it may not be the best balance, but it's my best balance and just being okay with that. And, you know, a lot of these things you say, you reflect quite a lot on, um, on LinkedIn where you're very, very active and you do put out a lot of, uh, what I've, you know, very lazily labeled as positive content, uh, which I'm sure there's a more fancy sure. word for it, but um, that works. <laughs> what is it that attracts you to putting that content out there and ensuring things like gratitude and positivity uh, in in the world of LinkedIn, which of course then reflects on on your parenting style as well? Uh, you know the role of negative and naysayer and you know contrarian um, and, and skeptic is felt. I mean, you're 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 in a line. And, and the line goes as far out as the eye can see and beyond. Um, you, you really want to be outstanding. All you got to do is just stand. You got to stand for something. And why not be standing for positivity? The whole idea of confirmation bias, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. So I just choose to find the better. You know, if, 
that there's there's got to be something positive out of whatever whatever has happened and and so i'm just going to choose to gravitate and look for that and and hopefully hopefully my brain will will show me the positive even in in some crazy struggles and you know with with uh, with my sister's passing in in uh january even that has has brought a lot of heartache and if i if i want to dwell in that and i want to sit in that space there's there's plenty of room there's a line out the door for those skeptics uh, but I can also look at the beautiful of our relationship and, and the lessons learned from her and, and her beacon of positivity in the world. And, you know, I want to be the man that she thinks I am. Um, and I want to I want to reflect that out to to others, uh, you know, my family included, to, to the audience of LinkedIn. Like, hey, we can we can be a light to other people. And, you know, you do that by positivity because skeptic, hey, jump in line. You know, you want to you want to talk. Uh, about those things that are frustrating, rant over, go for it. I'm going to have a positive rant. I'm going to get on a gratitude kick. Um, and, you know, it, it seems to have, you know, space. It seems to have space um, out there. There's room. There's plenty of room to be extraordinary by just being ordinary, positive. What a great line to end on. Michael, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you. And that's been the Daddy Juggle for this episode. I've been your host, Erdem Kosh. Until next time, thanks for listening.